Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, friends. Uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends. And today I'm really super delighted to be introducing you to the one and only Patricia Freb. When your message must be memorable, your presentation powerful, and your sales successful, people call Patricia Freb one of the few professional speakers who can transform the presentation skills of others. She's also an executive speech coach and a sales presentation skills trainer. Kiplinger's personal finance wrote that one of the best investments you can make in your career is hiring Patricia Fripp for her presentation skills training. She simplifies and demystifies the process of preparing and presenting powerful, persuasive presentations. She delivers a message through keynote speeches, breakout sessions, and in-depth customized training and coaching. Friends, in this episode, uh, Patricia and I talk about the art of communication and the language of leadership. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Patricia Fripp. So hello, Patricia. Welcome to another episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends. I'm so excited and delighted that you took the time to be on this program. And let me start off with... uh, the first time I heard you speak, it was here in Seattle at a Toastmasters uh, conference. And then uh, the second time I heard you speak was at the NSA event in Seattle where uh, you gave such a terrific presentation uh, that people just, uh, you know, it was just so awesome that I know having you on the show and share your wisdom with my audience uh, would be a delight for them. So thank you again for uh, making the time and welcome to the show. My pleasure. So great, Patricia, one of the ways we kick off our show is by asking our guest a simple yet profound question, and that is, what is your favorite quotation or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life? When I was walking out the door to get the bus for the first day of my first job, My father, who was a very successful entrepreneur, gave me advice, and it is how I have tried to run my life and build my businesses. He said, don't concentrate on making a lot of money. Rather, concentrate on becoming the type of person that people want to do business with, and you most likely will make a lot of money. I love that because... It is really about focusing on the virtues of being a human being, a person who is well-liked and respected, and that really uh, results in uh, making a good living. Sounds like that was very good advice, and you've really been so successful in the in the world of public speaking and executive speaking coach. Uh, so let me just, for the benefit of the audience, uh, here's a little bio for you all. When Patricia's Fripp is a speaker for all reasons. When when your message must be memorable, your presentation powerful, and your sales successful, you need to call Patricia Fripp. She's one of the few professional speakers who can transform the presentation skills of others. And she's also an executive speech coach and a sales presentation skills trainer. So Patri- Patricia, I'm curious. Now, you're, you were born in England and you came to the United States uh, Uh, As a hairstylist, is that correct? Uh, Yes, I had the idea that everyone in America was rich and the streets were paved with movie stars. (laughs) So I was was 20 years old. I had no job, nowhere to live, didn't know anyone. I had $500. And at that point in time, growing up in a small town in England, you didn't meet that many people who had been to America. We really knew it by the movies. And I turned up and and I have not been in the slightest bit disappointed. So I had written to four salon owners, only one answered my letter and said, I can't promise you a job, but come see me. 
And that was at the Mark Hopkins Hotel and the Beauty Salon. Now, this was a very classy, wonderful hotel. And it was owned by Gene Autry, the singing cowboy. You're probably too young. But we had seen Dad had taken us to see his films when we were children. And a lot of movie stars did stay at the hotel. And I did several movie stars here and Princess Anne of Denmark. It was a very exciting experience. And because it was a hotel... I, it didn't matter that I didn't have a regular clientele because there were people there because I worked 100% on commission. No guarantee, no sick pay, no vacation pay, just a percentage of what I earned. And then when I was 23 years old, I had the opportunity to work in the first men's fancy hairstyling salon in San Francisco when that was a new industry. And soon after I went to work there, the Hollywood hairstylist, Jay Sebring, who did all the movie stars here, took over. So again, I realized movie stars were everywhere. I would pick up the phone and it would be Steve McQueen saying, hey, can Jay go racing with me tomorrow? And I'd have to call his clients and cancel his appointments. Uh, but what, you know, many people don't realize the importance of your first jobs. And in England, serving my apprenticeship, I worked in a very nice salon. So we had we had a lot of regular business people. But however, you know, a lot of more affluent people that I'd never have the opportunity to meet. In the Mark Hopkins Hotel, I met people from all over the country and all over the world. In the financial district of San Francisco, a lot of my clients were the movers and shakers of the financial district. And I got to always being naturally curious. I got to know a lot about business. I used to say, what were you doing to make you the best salesperson in your division? Or what did you do to your small company that a big company wanted to pay you millions of dollars to buy it? So I was educating myself while I was cutting hair. And then, to cut a long story short, I started traveling nationwide for a hair product company doing seminars for hairstylists. Mm-hmm. And being the star of my Dale Carnegie class and my and Toastmasters, uh, from those early talks, I never used notes. I had notes, but they were in my head. I structured the presentations so I could remember them. And all my clients started saying, oh, well, if you're speaking, come talk to my Ropery Club, Gowanus Club, Lions Club. And people who heard me speak often turned up in my salon. I thought this is a great way to promote business. And because I had been to Dale Carnegie and met all these other ambitious young people, We went to every seminar and every rally we heard about. We were just so excited and so motivated. And we heard about the National Speakers Association. And a professional speaker who I'd heard lived in the area. And he was kind enough to talk to me. And he said, Patricia, you must go to the National Speakers Association convention. And I am a great believer. If someone you admire and wish to emulate, gives you advice, you do it. Mm -hmm. Don't ask how much it costs. And maybe you do have to, but I didn't. I just turned up at my first NSA convention thinking no one's going to want to talk to me. I only talk to Rotary Clubs and hairdressers. (laughs) And two situations appeared. One, I saw the vision of what was possible. I realized after my hairstyling career, and, and, and I was just two years into a 10-year lease on my own business, and I loved the business. I was not ready to leave, but I, I did realize there will be something after, and I realized it could be speaking. And then I had the opportunity to deliver 10 minutes of my best Rotary Club material in a program called Speak to Me for New Speakers. And a gentleman came up to me, Mike Frank, and said, you are the best woman speaker I've ever heard. You have a brochure? I said, no. He called me a month later and booked me to speak to 2,000 people on the same program with Dr. Robert Shuler, the minister from Garden Grove, who was a very famous speaker at the time. So 
I would say only in America and the National Speakers Association. And then eight years later, I was the first woman president of the National Speakers Association. And that's when I went full time as a speaker. <laughs> that is such a wonderful uh, st- success story, Patricia. And I want to go back to your days in England. Now, in, in yeah. addition to being a, such a powerful and very popular speaker internationally, you're also an adoring sister of Robert Fripp. So tell well, us about... <laughs> yes, yes. Now, my brother, for those who are familiar with Robert Fripp, he is, according to Rolling Stone magazine, the 42nd, the 42nd best guitarist in the history of the world, living or dead, according to Rolling Stone. Mm. And brother and I, we are one year, one month, two days, 12 and a half hours. I'm the eldest. Difference. And we always were really best friends. We always were soulmates. And we still are. We talk nearly every day. If he's on tour, if he's in Japan, I send him little Zoom messages and we text and send photographs of whatever restaurant we're having breakfast in. So we are very, very, very close. And what I like doing for fun is selling merchandise at King Crimson concerts. I wish I could sell myself as well as I can sell T-shirts and DVDs and CDs at my brother's concerts. <laughs> well, that is so great. And I've heard uh, some videos of your, I've watched videos of Robert Fripp's performing his uh, oh. guitar, and it's been just yeah. amazing, amazing. And I highly, highly recommend our listeners to check out Robert Fripp if you have not already, and uh, he's just brilliant. Yes, so, he also played on David Bowie's Heroes, which is well known. But but he is as good a speaker as he is a guitarist. And anyone on YouTube, if you just Google Patricia Fripp and Robert Fripp, you'll see some some clips from some of our speeches. That's right. And you uh, actually perform together as well, I hear, uh, like how to be a hero for more than one day. Yes, how to be a hero for more than one day. In fact, if any King Crimson fans are listening to you, they need to go to Robert Fripp VT because you can get a subscription to watch his his presentations that we do together. And he is brilliant. That's great. And then we'll include all of that in our show notes that, so that people can find out more about uh, uh, Crimson, King Crimson and uh, Robert Fripp. <clears throat> so, Patricia, this brings up another question for me personally. Is, and then also, uh, we get a lot of questions from our audience regarding finding your calling. And yes. so it seems like listening to your story, you followed your bliss, as Joseph Campbell would say. You know, you followed your uh, intuition to come to America and then becoming a very successful hairstylist, uh, mingling with all the celebrities, looking at opportunities. And you started speaking, then joined the NSA. And you just seem to have followed opportunities whatever showed up. And now, like, you know, you have have been uh, named as one of the top 10 most electrifying speakers in North America by meetings and conventions magazine. So the question for you is, if somebody out there listening to this podcast is looking to find his or her calling and passion, what advice would you uh, give him or her? Well, I I don't know that I am in a position to do that, and I don't know if I am following my bliss. I am much more practical than that, because I, I remember that when I was 12 years old, my brother was brilliant. And I was about 15th in the class of 30. So I I was good, but I, I wasn't brilliant. I was not one of the kids who was going to be at top of the class. And I and remember, this is many decades ago. Nobody expected much of girls. And I thought, well, I'm probably more artistic than academic. So I'm going to be a hairstylist. So that was that was. Uh, I was I, I wouldn't say I was following my bliss, but I, I had enough sense to know I have to go where my strengths are and they're more this way. And once I started work, I came into my own. I have always loved work and just done superbly well. 
And coming to America, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I wish it was, I could give you a, a, a big strategy, but there wasn't one. But what I have been good at doing is learning from people who are a lot smarter than I am. I've always been very good. And again, behind the chair, asking questions and learning from other people's experience. And I remember when I was cutting hair of some of the top executives, I knew I didn't want a life like their wives. I wanted a life like theirs. Mm. I wanted to be in business and wheeling and dealing. I knew that was it. And so I certainly I took advantage of opportunities. But just like at the National Speakers Association, when I had the opportunity, it paid off. Because I had delivered so many free talks for my clients' staff meetings, for the Rotary Clubs. So you have to get prepared. You have to believe that good efforts will get paid off. You don't quite know when. But my brother, for example, my brother, as great as a guitarist as he is, he started tone deaf with no scent the rhythm. Oh. He is not a natural musician. He is a practiced, rehearsed, hard work musician. Wow, that is really a fascinating uh, insight right there. Yeah. So, so really a takeaway for our audience listening is identify your strengths. And yeah. then as Patricia did, learn from other people's experiences by okay. asking really good questions because yeah. the quality of our questions gives us the quality of our life. And then, yes. and then opportunities will come along. And then I, the idea that I think the biggest thing that... <clears throat> excuse me, most of us miss out on or don't take into account is that uh, our good efforts eventually will pay off. So it's, uh, it's really uh, practicing and preparing and really mastering the craft as you go along and then, you know, capitalizing on it as opportunities show up. So let me ask you this, Patricia. Uh, you've had so much of successes along the way. But I'm sure there has been like one or two significant moments in your life. And, you know, we've all had these strategic inflection points, if you will, when life was never the same again moment. And what I mean by that is that, you know, that after that point, it was just massive success. And you can look back and say, you know, that was a turning point in my career, in my life. Can you recall one or two moments like that in your life that well, totally changed? Coming to America, nothing would have happened. Uh, quite the same had I not come to America. And for me, staying single, I've always been very focused on career. That's always been my, my highest priority. But I knew that. I knew as a young woman that my – I remember going to work on the bus with my friends, and they were talking – we were about 15, 16, and they were talking about, oh, they were going to grow up and marry millionaires, and I don't know where we were going to meet them. But I remember vividly thinking, oh, it's much more practical to be one than marry one. <laughs> now, you understand, I would not have articulated that out loud because they would have thought I was crazy. <laughs> and, and and I had no idea that, you know, hey, I'm going to get grow up and be successful in another continent. I didn't know. But I always, uh, as an apprentice in England, on a Tuesday night, we were bringing models. You know, people would pay two dollars to, you know, two shillings. And the apprentices would do the hair. Well, all the other girls would do one or two, and I'd do five. And said to my boss, can I bring models in on a Monday? And he saw that I was so, I was working so much harder than everyone else. I was just doing more. He gave me an old hairdryer. So I, in the evening and weekends, I could do all the neighbor's hair. So again, just as I progressed faster because I practiced more. Just with with speaking, I progressed fast because we created audience that didn't exist. We said to my clients, hey, get 20 of your employees together. You know, I'll come give a, a free talk on teamwork or customer service. So that when the opportunity came, I was more, I was really more prepared from what I'd already done than a lot of speakers who had just been interested for the amount of time. And then, uh, of course, 
going into business for myself gave me more freedom. Uh, it was hard work. I mean, it was really, really hard work. I, I mean, I was so exhausted for the first four months in business. It was a blur. I can't remember anything. And then uh, going to the National Speakers Association, my life was never the same after that. Um, going full time was uh, as a speaker was a scary, but I wait. It, the time was right. Uh, and you'll know there, there, there are times that are it's obviously right. And of course, becoming president of NSA, that was the right time. So I sold my salon to one of my staff a year ahead of my schedule. Now, because I have been in the speaking industry for decades now, the secret, and I, I had a, a, a webinar not long ago with Tim Gard, who used to work for a government agency. And so it was from nine to five to Hall of Fame, which was Tim. And I said, and beyond, because what we also have to be very realistic about in any industry is that you cannot be, for example, in the speaking business, you cannot be the flavor of a month with speakers bureaus as a keynote speaker for more than 20 years. And I mean, I milked it together. But, and I'm sure this principle works with any industry. You have to listen to your customers. Because I was, when I was, you know, one of the 10 most electrifying speakers in North America, this was when I was a keynote speaker. And I was a hot property at the time. There were less speakers. There were less women. It was a slightly different speaking world than it is now. And then a couple of conversations really got me on a new direction. I have always, and I was the first person at NSA say, oh, you know, I hire speech coaches. I go to screenwriting classes, just all to develop me as a performer and understander of the craft. And. I loved speaking to National Speakers Association chapters because I loved talking about speaking. But what I was really paid to talk about was more how to get, keep and deserve customers, how to promote your business. That's that's the topic that people were buying from me. And then I spoke for Aramark Foods. This was the, the division that sold to hospitals. Mm-hmm. And the national sales manager came up to me and said, I liked your speech, but I loved how you delivered it. Could you teach our salespeople to speak that way? Because it takes us a year to be in a position to give a one hour present presentation or hospital board and it has nothing and we're, we're losing sales it has nothing to do with our offering or our price. Our, we keep hearing our competition's presentations are better than ours. So when she hired me to do that, and certainly what I did for them is not what I could <coughs> now do, but little did I know that she had just given me the formula to always be in demand, one, when I don't look quite as good on iMag, but two, no matter what the economy is doing. And then secondly, I spoke for a personnel company. Uh, in This was locally. And I gave my speech. The president gave her a speech. And then we were having lunch. And she said, do you do any speech coaching? I said, oh, just a little for some of my friends. And she said, I wish I was one of your friends. Mm. And I got home an hour later. And I got a message on my machine. And this wonderful, dynamic, energetic woman said, I don't know if you do this, but if you do, I want to buy you for my husband for his birthday. She said, seven of my salespeople came to your speaking school and they came back raving. And I don't know if you do any any 
executive speech coaching. My husband's a good speaker, but he has a really important speech. And I'd love to hire you to help him if you do this. And I thought, okay, God, this is two two requests in an hour. I got the message. So that was the day I formally put my shingle up. I'm an executive speech coach. So you see, I can't tell you. I used to say, oh, when I'm a little old lady, you know, I'll be a speech coach. But it was really listening to my clients tell me, this is what we want from you. And so my life, although I still, of course, keynote conferences and I do speak at conventions, how I really make my living is helping executives, teams that have to give presentations, um, consultants or or any company that has to give presentations to drive business. And uh, one of my friends, Mary Beth Roach, in fact, I'm going to go stay with her in, uh, in March when I'm speaking in Texas. Uh, she was a long-time speech coach. And, and she said to me once, Patricia, when I see people on stage do well and I've helped them, it's, it's even more exciting than being on stage myself. And I did not think it was possible until I experienced it. So, yes, it's wonderful to be on stage. But when you know, when you have the ability to help executives save time, because a normal request for me, Cal, is, uh, well, we don't have any corporate rock stars and we have a very important sales meeting. Uh, we get 1,500 people in a ballroom in Bellagio and we need you to write a speech for our president Turn him into a corporate rock star. Uh, you got four hours. And, you know, he's not a bad speaker, but he's uh, an engineer and a little shy and modest. <laughs> so I have four hours to turn an engineer into a corporate rock star. And this is exhilarating. And when I'm usually in these circumstances, I walk away knowing nobody could do with this person what I did. That is amazing. That is exhilarating because there are a lot of people who are great speakers, but they could not write a speech about something they don't understand and have it dynamic. And that, and you know what prepared me, Cal, was asking executive questions. That's that's really amazing. And so really, just to recap, it seems like, uh, you know, you have this ability, this uh this knack for listening and asking great questions, but listening to your customers and that creates the demand and then you adjust your sales to so to speak to meet the market demand. So uh, that is that is just brilliant. So you know we've had what I want to pick up on what you said before. I am in a blissful state when I'm doing this type of work. But I can't say I was following my bliss because I didn't know what it was till till people told me what they wanted. <laughs> no, that is that is really awesome. Uh, so yeah, you found your bliss. So sounds like it, and uh, through your work and through your contribution. But yeah. really, what what the couple of patterns emerge from your sharing. One is your tenacity of purpose, that ability to go after your dreams and, and this incredible drive that you have to be successful. And, and most importantly, I also am hearing the ability to make a difference and contribute to your customers and give them really top-notch value. And that's yeah. something that I've personally experienced uh, every time you've given a presentation or every time you You've, uh, you know, with, with your products, with your coaching, it's just been just been amazing. And uh, Patricia, so the other question that comes up for me is, and we've had many guests on the show, and you know they've been incredibly successful, and they would not have reached that uh, level of accomplishment, if you will, or the milestones in their lives if they have not had failures. And one of the things that you know what I've noticed about these incredible people is that they do not 
view failures as failures, but in in fact, they use that as stepping stones to even greater successes. So my question to you is, when was a time that you almost gave up because everyone told you it would not work, but you pushed through and found success? I don't think there is a time. I, I really don't think there is a time now. In all fairness, uh, I would think my my father probably thought his daughter was a bit of a dingbat um, until I were until he came to America and saw me when I was thirty two, and I was giving speeches. And my mother used to visit and went home and told him, "Oh well, Trisha has a nice house and she's got a good business and." I don't. I think he, he thought she was telling him that just to make him feel better. <laughs> he had to come see for himself. Uh, but you know, when I was, he told my mother, you know, tell her not to go to America because I said when I was grown up, it was nice you and Daddy let me go at twenty. <laughs> and she said, well, your father didn't tell me to tell you not to, but I told him I wouldn't. <laughs> but what my father did, he said, well, how do you know it'll be better? And I said, I don't, but I have to go have a look. And he said, well, you got a really good job. And I said, yes, and I know they'd always have me again. So he pointed out quest. He pointed out what he thought were the realities, which I'd already thought of myself. <coughs> and, of course, you know, at 20, it never occurred to me anything would go wrong, and it never did. I mean, just sure ignorance and, and blind optimism, but it worked out. But, you know, when it says to times that I nearly gave up, there never was. They've been frustrating times. But I heard a speaker years ago, Larry Wilson. He was a great guy. He was one of the stars when I was first going to NSA. And he used to talk about, you know, he'd say, you know, it's not that big. It's an inconvenience. And when I look at, when I look at most situations that are a ruddy pain in the neck that you want to bitch and complain about. You know, you think it's an inconvenience and the overall schemes of things. If this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me, that's great. And just recently, I, I flown to, you know, a couple of NSA chapters and to speak and you know I love because I have so many speaker friends that I meet like you when when you're out at the chapters and uh, but it's sometimes with clients you know the, sometimes the planes are delayed I was in Kentucky and I was supposed to get off the plane at 10.15 well I got my taxi at 1.30 in the morning and then I was staying in uh, for a recent engagement and it was one of the most depressing hotels I've been in for years. <laughs> but I always remember Dolly Parton and she said, and I'm a great fan of Dolly Parton, one, because she never forgot where she came from. She's very generous and she doesn't take herself too seriously. She takes what she does seriously, but not herself. And Dolly Parton said, when I was young and poor, I dreamed about being rich and famous. Mm. And I promised myself if ever I was, I wouldn't complain about anything. And so whenever I feel like thinking, this is a depressing hotel room, why on earth would they put me here to save a couple of bucks? You know, I think, hey, I, I, you know, I, I might say what well, my version of rich and famous, I am living the life that I wanted. I'm exceptionally fortunate. So don't bitch. It's a slight inconvenience. You know, does the toilet flush? Is the bed vaguely comfortable and does the TV work? You know, that's... <laughs> no, that is, that is so great. That's so great. I like the really uh, creating an empowering context regarding regardless of whatever the situation might be, uh, might, you might find yourself in. And that's such a powerful strategy for life. Uh, and here's a question out of curiosity. And so sounds like, Patricia, it, that coming, coming to America was like the defining moment that started this journey. It's like it, everything followed afterwards. 
So my question to you is, was there a moment growing up that you watched a movie or read a book or heard a story that really created that uh that passion about coming to America or was that just happened to Oh, I'll tell you exactly what it was. When I was 16 years old, my best friend was Wendy Roberts. She's still a good friend. I call her, you know, probably every three weeks. And she, she was 18. She was two years older. She was a legal secretary. And to me, Wendy was so sophisticated. I wanted to grow up and be as sophisticated as Wendy. And we were good pals. And, and then a gentleman in our hometown, uh, Warren, who was a little bit older than us, and, and uh, he said, oh, would you and Wendy go out with my friend and me on Saturday? Would you like a double day? I said, sure. And then a couple of days later, he said, well, you'll be with my friend Peter. I'll be with Wendy. I said, OK, that's fine with me. Well, we it was Wendy who had said to me, I have a pen pal in America and I'm going to go visit her. And I said, wait till I finish my apprenticeship and I'll come with you. So you see, that would have been when I was 18. So we go on this double date and Wendy actually ends up marrying Warren. Now, Warren was a handsome guy, but it's about as exciting as watching grass grow. Now, she was married to Warren for 22 years, finally divorced him, and she had two very nice husbands after that. <laughs> both died, but they were nice husbands. Anyway, uh, it might interest you to know that Peter, who was my date, we stayed friends from when I was 16 to now, which is many decades and he he just died last June, and I went home for his funeral. Uh, but every time I went back to England, Wendy, Peter, and I went out. Uh, Peter and I used to talk to each other probably, you know, once every month or six weeks, even these decades after. But, of course, Wendy was not going to America anymore because she was going to marry Warren. So I I had met some young women who came in our salon who lived on the island off France called Jersey. It's British, but had its own government. It was a tax haven. It was a holiday resort. So I went for a summer, stayed two and a half years, but none of the kids there ever thought about where should we, you know, when should we go home? They always said, where should we go next? Well, in the back of my mind, it always was America from Wendy. So that was it. I went back to England. Now, God meant me to come here. <laughs> However you think. It was fake. Because I went to the American embassy and I filled out all these forms. Yes, 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 yes. Can you support yourself? Yes. Do you have a job? Yes. You know, do you have a profession? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, no. Sorry. It was no to everything. Like, you know, you've been arrested. and So it was no, no, no to everything except can you... You know, do you have money? Can you support yourself? I said, yes. So I sponsored myself. And would you believe the very next week they changed all the rules and I would never have got in. Wow. And I know that because I was at a party with a friend of mine who had been in Los Angeles. He'd come in from Canada, but he was here illegally. So he went home to get a visa so he could come in legally. And, you know, he was a very good hairdresser and, and worked properly. He went up to the embassy the week after me, and he couldn't, you couldn't sponsor yourself. Wow. Yeah, that uh, definitely sounds like uh, the fates uh, definitely yeah. played a factor out there. So let me ask you this. You've traveled uh, internationally and domestically all over the place. So are there any particular places that you like to travel to or your favorite place? Uh, and if so, why? Well, I do. I love being a tourist. So when I try and make every business trip a vacation, so even if it's an NSA chapter, you know, I try and build in a day to go to museums or this last time in Connecticut, I had a couple of days in the Hudson Valley visiting a friend. And in Kentucky, I went to three different museums. And so, you know, I, I, I really try and make it a vacation. But internationally, I spoke in Taiwan. That was a very interesting experience uh, because everything was interpreted into Chinese. Mm. I went to China on vacation while after uh, I have spoken in in 
England and Scotland. Although, I must admit, I'm not crazy about English audiences. They're not as effusive as Americans. You know, we are a bit, you know, I, I have more of an American personality. Uh, but they're a bit more reserved. I like I like people who yell and scream when they like what you say. Uh, and and Australia and New Zealand. Now, for a long time, every November, I went to Australia or New Zealand. And uh, New Zealand is probably one of the most beautiful places in the world. And very nice people. Australia is very interesting. Uh, I, I just like being a tourist. Uh, most places I go to in America, you know, there is something you can find that you find interesting to do or go. Most communities have something they're proud of. They have a museum. They have historical site. There's something. And I, I just like learning. No, that is so great. So, Here's, here's a hypothetical question for you, Patricia. Let's say uh, if you could go back in time and talk to your young self, right, yeah. the one before coming to America. And so what would you, what advice would you give her? Uh, well, I would – I'd probably tell her not to go out with a couple of guys. <laughs> uh, and – I I probably would have told myself to do more research about everything I got into. I should have researched coming to America better than I did, although it worked out. Uh, in business, I would have embraced technology earlier. I so there is some some business advice I would give myself. Uh, I would probably. Uh, well, I would advise myself how I was raised. You've got to save money. You have got to be sensible with money. And I am quite sensible with money. Mm. Well, that's actually uh, very valuable insights right there. And then uh, before we jump into uh, yeah. some of the speaking uh, expertise and all that questions, I have another one for you. Yeah. It's what's your definition at this point in life of a successful life or a good life or a happy life? What would you say uh, would be a response to that question? Uh, well, understand being happy for you is is how you want to live your life. You have to. I I, I was raised by very good parents. And they always taught us to be independent. So I very much live my life the way I want to. I heard Jane Goodall, who is 85 years old, speak at a conference. I was working in London. And she was asked, you know, this is Jane Goodall as gorillas in the mist, all her amazing work. And the executive asked her, you're 85, you travel 300 days a year, when are you going to slow down? And she said, we're 85, you don't slow down, you speed up. Mm. <laughs> so this is my new mantra, I'm speeding up. And how I interpret that, yes, you speed up as far as business and big focus on business, but you speed up to put more time on your calendar for vacation. You speed up to be a, a good friend and spend time with people who, you know, you, who, who are special. So I'm speeding up is the quick answer. Um, But you you just have to know what works for you. No, that's that's really great, really great. Yeah. And uh, so this is a uh, perfect segue to get into some of the questions we've received from our audiences. And uh, so the first question, uh, Patricia, this is probably uh, coming from some of our professionals and executives uh, who are wanting to be a good speaker. And the first question is, what are some of the common mistakes that you've noticed speakers do, which are easily fixable, if you will? Uh, what would you say to that? One, uh, well, I'll talk about my executive clients. So the executive clients don't start early enough. You cannot start too early on a speech. And you cannot start with a PowerPoint. 
you have to you have to set aside time as early as possible and first of all you think who is the audience and then you think how long do i have to speak and then what is the purpose or what is my role in this meeting and then you think what is my big idea i like to ask my clients if you had one sentence rather than 45 minutes, what would you say? And I said this to, to Bernard, one of my executives. This is the one turning him into a rock star. You got four hours. And I said, how do you do? If you had one sentence rather than 45 minutes, what would you say? He said, this is a brand new company. I said, great, write this down. This is your opening line. Welcome to a brand new company. And then I said, well, who decided it was going to be a new company? It's not the people in the audience, especially the 40% that were acquired. You bought them. And, and so I talked conversationally through his presentation with him. And he turned out to be a great, a great student because he took this seriously. And I used to, yeah, he worked in France, but with video conferencing, you can, you can now continue. You don't have to be in the same room together. Uh, so start early and start with, there's a process. You start with the creative process and the creative process is messy. A PowerPoint is tidy. So you need a whiteboard, a flip chart, a yellow pad. You know, who's the audience? How long do you have? What's your purpose? What's the big idea? If you had one sentence and now, now your, your speech structure has to prove your premise or it has to answer the questions that go with that big idea. And so you frame all this out long before you start your PowerPoint. So you start with the creative process and then you start uh, putting some words around the structure. And so it's, it's following the process. You will save time. If, Absolutely. Absolutely. If you do it this way. No, I like and, that. Like that. Yeah. And then, yeah, got to understand if you work on one principle, that I always do, and that is the audience is more interested in themselves than you. So you have to speak as an audience advocate. You have to look at how does the audience look at this presentation? How do they look at this subject? What do they want from me? And you always have to imagine that there are people in the audience, and I bet they are there, who are looking at you thinking, so what, who cares what's in it for me? That's why you look at this as, as an audience advocate. You look at their point of view. You also have to be aware that there are different types of makeup of an audience. So, for example, if an executive is talking to his audience, well, there might be the sales staff, there might be the technology staff, there might be the people from South America, from Asia, from, you know, so you look at your each talking point from the point of view of the audience that is represented. So everyone knows that the speaker or the executive knows that we are here. Mm. And then the best way to communicate is you've got to tell good stories because stories are a great way to paint a vision of the future, to help understand the company history or to understand the person behind the position. So, for example, with the executive, I was talking about Bernard. He was talking about strategy because they said, we do want our audience to know they're with the right company at the right time and the our strategy is sound. So as he's talking about the strategy, I said, Bernard, when was the first time you realized the importance of strategy? And he said it was when I was a 14-year-old ball boy before the French Open. Because people came in to see the French Open, they didn't realize they are going to be watching a game of the ball boys. And he said, my opponent, I was playing, my best friend, and we had the same talents. We were same skill level. But this time, his sister was our ball boy. 
and she wanted her brother to win so she was sabotaging the way she threw the balls so they'd be at my disadvantage and he said that was the first time I realized the importance of strategy when you're equally matched but you're at a disadvantage and then he, he asked what most executives ask me when I pull these personal stories out of them and you notice how we do it Cal, I ask questions give me an example when was the first time what did you do next and he said well do people really want to hear these personal stories and I said yes because it's important that they see the person behind the position because we will respect the president the executive sales manager, that they respect you for just your title and who you are. They'll fight in the streets and never complain about missing a coffee break if they really know and like the person. Wow, that was brilliant. Uh, Really, I mean, this is... And then people can find out more about uh, Patricia Fripp's creative process of constructing or deconstructing a speech uh, by going to her website and as well as uh, Fripp TV. And we, we, we're going to talk about that okay, shortly. Yes. Yeah. So one, one, yes, yeah, certainly you can go to my website, Fripp, F-R-I-P-P dot com. And if you click on events, I deliver a lot of we, we list places that are open to the public, like when I'm speaking at NSA chapters. But also I, I deliver free web power sessions. So they're 15 to 20 minutes on one subject. So they're free. You can sign up for them at Fripp.com events. But the best, easiest, most convenient way to learn how to speak quickly conveniently cost effectively is with Fripp virtual training Fripp VT and you can take a a free trial or you know if they write to me we'll even give them a personal demo if they want pfripp at fripp.com perfect and we'll include all of that in the show notes and and one of the things I remember about public speaking that stuck with me all these years is that uh, you know you've always been a big advocate of the philosophy that the audience will forgive you for the most part except one which is never to be boring that's right (laughs) and being too predictable is boring good evening ladies and gentlemen what a pleasure to be here and when John invited me uh, I thought this would be a really great you know nobody cares get to the point the first 30 seconds and the last 30 seconds of a presentation needs your attention that's so great so great and now this brings up another question and and this is like you know you've been the past president and the first female president i must add of the over 3500 member national speakers association so one of the questions came from one of our pro speakers and that is what are the top three things so what are the top things you wish you knew about uh the speaking industry when you started in this profession Hmm. Or in other words, well, you know, it, how do you succeed you know, in this? You've got to understand, it's, it's, it's what I say to a lot of speakers is you probably don't lack the talent. You might lack the patience. See, when I went to NSA, I realized this is a long-term goal. So it's not going to happen overnight. And it was very difficult running my business and my and and developing my speaking business i'd be speaking for ibm one day and i'll be back in my salon at 6 30 the next morning for my first seven o'clock a.m appointment Mm -hmm. so it's i well one it's going to be a longer term goal but secondly the reason and this would be true with any profession you only shorten your learning curve when you learn from other people's experience and what is it's so much more available now than it used to be 
There is so much online. There are so many speakers like me that have their online learning available 24-7. You don't have to wait till the next National Speakers Association convention. Uh, you know, when I started, there weren't NSA chapters. I helped found uh, you know, find one in our in our Northern California area, uh, but it's so it's not like what I wish I'd known. It, it's I can't tell you I wish I had known this because I discovered it the way anyone else discovers it. You go to where other people are. You learn from their experience to shorten yours. You realize, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but you make consistent progress. And when people say, oh, come to my weekend seminar and for $15,000, I'll teach you everything you need to know about the speaking business, that your mother was right. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. Nobody's going to teach you in a weekend everything you need to know. That's such a brilliant advice. Uh, so this, uh, so this is a perfect segue into our next section, and that is a rapid fire round, Patricia. Okay. I'm going to ask you a so bunch of short answers, short, sure, fun <laughs> questions, uh, and it's the first response that comes to your mind. So my okay. first question to you, Patricia, are you ready? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. So what is the first question? Is what is one thing that you can do that might surprise other people? Well, one, I would say it's not one thing. You have to be more specific. <laughs> so what? So rephrase it and give me a better word than thing. If it weren't a thing, what would you mean? So let me ask you this. If speaking wasn't your profession and hairstyling wasn't your profession, what other profession that you think you would be good at that would surprise other people? Fundraising. Oh, wow. That's that's awesome. That's excellent. So the next question is, what book have you read again and again or gifted over the years? Well, I read thrillers more than any other. <laughs> I OD'd on self-help. So I would say Lee Child. Okay. All right. So the next question is, if you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? A Winston Churchill speech. Mm. That's great. And if you could ask God one question, what would it be? How can I serve you better? Oh, wow. And then the next question is, who's your favorite music band? King Crimson. <laughs> that was obvious. Should have known. All right. And then one final question before we uh, wrap up the rapid fire round. And that is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that say? Or what would that be? Think big, start small. I like that. That's really awesome. So, Patricia, I've got final three questions for you in the interest of time and before we wrap it up. My first question for you is, what is your current personal or business passion, passion project that you're working on and what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now? Okay. Rapid fire questions should be one question. You've asked me two. Would you like to rephrase that? Yeah, no, we, we're, done, we're done with the rapid fire round. This is like the final uh, three I questions. I know, but you can't ask me two questions in one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what's a business passion project that you're working on or you're looking forward to in the next six months to 12 years or 12 months from now? Well, I am working on marketing my VTs more online. So I have my Fripp VT Live, which is live presentations. I have Robert Fripp VT, which is my brother's speeches. And I have my Fripp VT, which is my standard presentation and sales presentations. So we're going all out marketing that using more creative ways and ads. That's what I'm excited about. Excellent. 
And the next question is, what are three things you're grateful for? Now, rephrase them. If they weren't things, what would they be? What are you grateful for in life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good parents. Good energy. And my personality. And of course, I have to include, I would say, parents and brother. Mm. That's beautiful. So I want to take a moment here, uh, or a few moments here, Patricia, to acknowledge you for a couple of things. One is an incredible role model that you've been all these years for, not only for the speakers that listen, uh, that follow your blueprint to become successful, but just the fact that you're such an exuberant, positive bundle of energy that just, you light up the place that you uh, go to. I mean, that's just so amazing that I've noticed about you. And secondly, I mean, you're such a giving soul. I mean, every time I've talked to you or people have heard you speak, you just give so much of value. That is incredible. So, uh, thank you for being who you are being and uh, doing what you are doing. So, really, really appreciate that. My pleasure and thank you. And one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, and that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Because all learning requires repetition and reinforcement. Mm, I like that. So once again, thank you so much for your time and uh, amazing uh, f responses and candid answers. I really appreciated our conversation. And for everybody listening, if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Carla Rass. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank, Thank you. you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production Join us next time for another edition of The Wisdom of Friends.